I expect you've heard of imposter syndrome, and uh, I definitely feel like that this morning. Um, I think of all the people in this church who could have been asked to pray on the subject of prayer, to talk on the subject of prayer, I'm probably the last one, because I know lots of you are, are wonderful at prayer. You're prayer warriors. You understand it. You experience it. Um, but actually, for me, it's been a big struggle. I've been a Christian a long time, and I'm really nowhere. I was thinking about it this morning. I'm thinking like I'm in the baby swimming pool with my armbands on, and the rest of you are probably thrashing up and down doing 50 lengths. So you have to bear with me, and forgive me if this is a very basic sort of a talk. Um, and if you've heard it all before, just go on your phone and do your bank account or something, or have a little snooze. So how it happened, I think, was I had a fairly casual conversation with Chris, so watch it, everybody, what you say. Um, about the fact that I found this book that we've been looking at, the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book, which is here somewhere, a really quite helpful. Um, and I didn't, the beginning part was a bit like, oh gosh, this is a navel gazing. But actually, as we moved on through it and I heard people speak their own experiences, um, then I got to the section about prayer. So I just wanted to share with you really a few things that have been coming to me gradually, probably over some years. Um, I think I am very slow at learning things and slow at putting them into practice. The idea is that it says it's a rule of life, which already sounds a bit intimidating. But as Chris has explained before, it's to do really with the, um, the trellis of our lives as Christians, that it's a thread, one of the things that holds us to Jesus, really. Um, and I think at the end of the day, when you think about it, that's what we say we believe, don't we? We believe in Jesus. So we want our whole lives, really, to be experiencing him, living with him, living in his presence. And I think this morning the testimonies have been so clear, haven't they? In our everyday lives, in our tragedies, in our heartbreaks, and in our joys, we actually want to be close to Jesus. And I have struggled with this since I was tiny because I was brought up in a Christian home and it was a very strict brethren background, which some of you will know is uh, very male-dominated, which doesn't suit people like me very much. Uh, and we had a lot of open services, a bit like the Quaker sort of way of worship where you sit in silence and you wait for the spirit to move on a man clearly uh, who will then stand up and speak and or, or pray or read something in the bible and I was taken from you know my earliest possible days and I remember being terribly bored really and I used to fidget a lot and get told off and some of the prayers were weird you know they used to use very long words I didn't understand what they're talking about some people did the same prayer every single week and it wasn't like liturgical it was extemporary prayer but it was the same and then other people seem to use prayer as a kind of way of giving out the notices. So they'd say, dear Lord, you know, we would pray for next Sunday's, next Wednesday's women's meeting, which will be held in the church hall at three and there'll be tea and cakes afterwards. I actually think that's a bit random. Surely God knows, doesn't he? But anyway, it's obviously part of it. So I think as time has gone on, I've struggled probably partially, maybe from being a doctor. Uh, I've been very dubious about a lot of prayer answers. I've had a lot of what I seem to have felt were unanswered prayers, lots of times when I felt like there was a brick wall, and I had an inner fear that maybe I wasn't quite there. From early on in my life, I was taught about inviting Jesus into your life, and I tried to do it, and then I tried to do it again, and then I thought, oh gosh, now I haven't believed it, so I can't ask again, because he's going to know I didn't really believe it. I got very confused and very worried. So I think prayer has never been something that's come naturally to me. But as time has gone on, I've realized that I think I've been approaching it totally the wrong way. I should tell you that I had one very startling experience as a small child of answer prayer that don't copy this. I um, 
was sent to piano lessons when I was about six. All my family went, and in those days, because I'm very old, you could walk there on your own after school. I hated it. I never did any practice. My brother above me was a brilliant musician, fantastic pianist, so it really wasn't worth my bothering. And although I was normally a compliant child, I just wasn't. I never did any practice. And I used to dread it, and I walked off on this particular day. And I don't know if it happened before, but I remember just praying desperately on the way there, please, God, could you make the teacher ill? I don't know why I didn't pray for myself to be ill. Obviously, in those days, I hadn't got that far with prayer. Um, and I got to the door, and it was an old tenement building. And this shows how very old I am. We did have electricity in my house, I can promise you. But this lady had gas lighting. So the whole place was darkish. Smelt slightly weird. I don't know if you've ever been in a gas-lit house. Um, and the lady was, you know, old-fashioned with a bun. Very, very strict. Very, very scary when you're six and you haven't done your practice. I got to the door, was going to go up the steps, and out from the door came um, a gentleman carrying a Gladstone bag, you know, one of those old medical bags, who said, little girl, what are you here for? And the little girl said, I'm here for my piano lesson. And he said, well, go away. Um, Mrs. Jackson is ill. So I went home again, feeling somewhat concerned, but maybe it was an answer. The awful, awful thing was that subsequently I found out that she'd had a big stroke. And my, she didn't die, but she didn't regain her full abilities in life. And for a piano teacher, that's pretty awful, isn't it? So I don't know about that, but I carried around a large amount of guilt for many years over that, which just really illustrates how crazy my view of God is, doesn't it? Because I'm sure, absolutely sure now, that he didn't answer my prayer and send a stroke on my piano teacher. However the power of prayer. I think, looking back through my Christian life as well, what am I doing for time? I need one of those things in the bake-off, you know, where it says, contestants, you now have 22 minutes. So you just have to stop me if I go on. Um, the times when I have felt close to God have been at times of prayer, often someone else praying or praying through a passage. And so actually I know that it is important. But if we can have the next one, please, Joss. Um, for me, it's been difficult. Difficult. It's been disappointing. Um, it's been disrupted. I don't know about you, but forever you sit down to try and pray, everything happens, doesn't it? Your brain buzzes, the door goes, your phone rings, the cat's sick, everything. And massively covered in guilt. Okay, can we have the next one, please? Um, apparently, interestingly, the root for prayer is the same as the root, as a word, for precarious. And I think that's really cool, isn't it? Because actually, when life is precarious... Everybody prays, don't they? Even the people that don't believe anything, they all pray. And I find it amazing that when something happens national tragedy-wise, even the government will come out with our thoughts and prayers are with. And you think, I didn't think you believed in anything. Anyway, if I could have the next one. So it's instinctive, isn't it? It's written into our genome, I think, to call out to a higher power whatever we believe. It's worldwide. All nations, all ethnicities, all religions do it. It's very biblical. Obviously, for us, all through the Bible, we see people who are close to God, they prayed. And if we see most of all, Jesus did it. I always wonder, though, what on earth did he do? We know there's one or two long prayers that he's, we've got written out that he said. What was he doing when he went out early in the morning and prayed? I'm sure he wasn't praying a shopping list of, you know, please look after Aunt Millicent's bunions and please can we have enough bread today? He wasn't, was he? So he must have been doing something else. And I think it's a something else that's gradually kind of come through to me. If I could have the next one, please. This really cheered me up. This is Pete Gregg, you know, the amazing, amazing 24-7 prayer guru. Can I be honest with you? I'm actually not into prayer. I'm into Jesus. So we talk. 
I don't believe in the power of prayer. I believe in the power of God. So I ask for his help a lot. I'm not into evangelism. I hate evangelism, but I'm into Jesus. So I talk to people about him. And actually, that's the crux of it, isn't it? It's about Jesus. And we say that's who we believe in. We say that's what our lives are about. We say that's what we're approaching death and eternal life with. And through all the stuff about prayer for healing, I always have in my head that little voice saying, at the end of the day, we're all going to die. If we really believe what we say we believe, if our faith is really alive, if Jesus is really God's son and he's in us and with us every moment of the day, what would be the most amazing healing would be to face death and go through it confidently. That has to be, for me, the biggest healing there ever is. And that is actually on offer. I don't know if anyone does it. Some people probably do. Personally, I'm quite scared of death. I've seen a lot of it. And I've always got that little bit of that little four-year-old thinking, I wonder if I really am a Christian at all, probably, in the back of my mind. Can I have the next one, please? Some years ago, um, Rachel, FG, and I, I think we were sort of searching a bit. And Becky was at Durham University, and we'd heard about Linda's farm on Holy Island, which you would have heard about, I'm sure, where monks have gone for many, many years. And um, there's a causeway, so when the tide is in, you can't even get across. And there's lots and lots of prayer gone up from there. And it's supposed to be one of these thin places where you're closer to God. So I thought, that sounds like a good shout. Maybe I'll go there, and I'll, I'll really get into it, and I'll get closer to God. Can I have the next couple, Joss? Just a couple. It's just very, very beautiful, extremely beautiful. We went and we went to some services which were all very sort of regimented and not very many people, and I wasn't feeling it really. And this was my big chance. And one day Rachel was painting, and I thought I'll go out for a walk and I'm really going to pray. So I went out, I walked around this beautiful coast, and I was trying to pray and trying to pray. And I just had this overwhelming sensation that God said, just stop talking. Just be, just be open to me. You don't need to say anything. And I'm sure all the rest of you have known that for years, but I don't know that I really did. And for me, that was a massive freedom, really. From then on, I think I had much more of an idea about maybe prayer wasn't this thing I thought it was. If I could have the next one. Last year, I read this book of Pete Greggs, which would I highly recommend. It's a very easy, readable book. He covers all sorts of things like unanswered prayer and all the other things. But it's very simple and straightforward. If you want it and you can't get it, I'll buy it for you. I really would because it's going to be miles better than anything I can say. And then, of course, we moved on to um, the other two books we've read. If I could have the next slide. I think this quote from Brennan Manning, you may know him. He's written some amazing books. He's not alive anymore, but he's another amazing guy. Um, he was a Franciscan monk. And I think this for me is the key. What if the hour you spend in the prayer room is when you refocus on Jesus so that you carry his presence with you in the other 23 hours of the day with a heightened awareness that he is with you, he is in you, that he likes you, that he hears your thoughts. You start to pray in real time. You instinctively lift situations to the Lord in the actual moment that you experience them while you're watching that distressing news report or hearing about your friend's latest crisis. You're not deferring all your prayers to some later holier moment because your whole life is becoming that moment. And I think what people were talking about in their testimonies was this, wasn't it? We need to be living, breathing Jesus in our every moment. We pray as we go along. Mary's mum, Helen, was the first person I think that I suddenly realized people did this. You'd be talking to her and suddenly mid-sentence you realize she's not talking to you. She was praying. I thought, what's she on about? Oh, gosh, she's talking to God. Eyes open right there in the middle of the street. But that's how it should be, surely. Um, Pete Gregg, if we could go on. Can we have the next one? Please? Oh, sorry, those are the two books. There is um, this book, sorry, I should have said is a 
the next one, the orange one, is a day-by-day -day book that's um, linked with the Emotional Healthy Spirituality book. The one thing I don't like about that book is the jolly title. It's a real mouthful, isn't it? But this is a really good little book. It does 40 days of reading and prayer. And I have worked through it and found it really helpful. There's some excellent quotes and little snippets. So if you're somebody who doesn't actually do very much and would like to, it's well worth getting as well. Sorry, if I could just have the next one then. This is Pete Gregg, and I think it's so true, isn't it? Keep it simple. Keep it real. Above all, keep it up. Just keep trying. And the next one. Pete has a, um, an acrostic which says for prayer is pause, or rejoice, ask, and yearn. I'm only really going to talk about the pause because I think for me, this is the big thing. The pause, the start, giving our attention to God. I think for many years, I've kind of raced in there and gone, oh, by the way, I've got this today. And could you pray for so-and-so? Oh, and so-and-so is not very well. And I promised to pray for that. And oh, I've forgotten that. And oh, I must go. And my life, as you probably know, is dominated by things like emptying the dishwasher, feeding the cats, and running to the gym every morning. And I always read my Bible and something before I go. But often the clock is ticking. I think if I don't get to the gym, the traffic on North Farm's going to be really bad. I haven't really got time to pause just now, so I've done my reading and I'll go. Actually, I don't really think that is going to keep me in touch with God or hearing him, is it? So the next one, please. These are some other quotes from different people you will know. Contemplative prayer is consumed with God's love, mostly quiet, wordless, meditation on Christ. Being present to God on another's behalf is intercessory prayer. And then that bit in Romans 8 that I love. The moment we get tired in waiting, God's spirit is right alongside helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves and keeps us present before God. And that just says it all, doesn't it? So often we don't know, we can't formulate words. We sit in God's presence and know that he loves us. We start to think about Jesus and all he's done for us. We're automatically going to be thanking and worshipping God. And just more and more these days, I just kind of visualize bringing people into God's presence, almost physically thinking of him there and bringing in these people. We don't know what to pray. We don't know what to pray for your poor friend's child who's lost so much. All we can do is bring that child, knowing that already God's Holy Spirit is groaning and praying with wordless sighs for that child. Um, and the next one, this is another one, which I think is quite good. <laughs> Show up shut up and look up. And I definitely need to do that. I might do this showing up, but then I might be in an awful rush and I definitely don't shut up very much, as you know. And I don't always look up. It's very easy, isn't it, in the storms of life to look at everything around you instead of looking up and remembering. For me, a lot of it is about remembering and noticing the times that God has actually answered prayer. Um, we have to have the next one, please. This guy um, in, in this book, whose name I can't pronounce, he talks about setting a pattern as a rule of life, which I've started to try to do, which gives you the idea of maybe starting your prayer life with two minutes of quiet, morning and maybe night, and maybe something in the middle of the day, if you can do it. Pete Gregg does a bit of silence, a bit of reading, morning and night, says the Lord's Prayer, actively at lunchtime and then in the evening he does the examine I don't know if you know you probably do that's an old sort of form of prayer where you you just quietly sit 
before the Lord and go through your day. So it might be, oh, you know, I, I, I jumped a red light on North Farm this morning because I was going to be late for the gym, Lord, I'm really sorry. And then I saw so-and-so, and they looked really upset, and then so-and-so. And then you notice things, don't you? We start to work through the day. We will naturally be thanking God for things, noticing where we really need to confess and repent, because I'm not really good at that either. I often kind of say, oh, I'm sorry. I don't actually think a lot about confession, I don't think. And I, I'm, sometimes I think I really need to repent a whole lot more because I haven't really noticed. I haven't stopped. I've just run on. And then being thankful for so much during the day. The Lectio Divina, you know, is when you go through a Bible passage. I think the Bible is obviously crucial for this. Um, if you, like me, find silence is very difficult uh, and things always happen. What am I doing for time? I'm all right. Um, two minutes can seem like absolutely forever. And if your mind fills with lots of other things, a lot of people use that Jesus prayer, you know, the one that says, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And just repeat it, or one phrase of the Bible, or read a psalm, or, or anything, really. Or, for me, I love the outside world. You may not be someone who can sit. They talk about some people finding a particular chair, a particular spot in their life where they can go and be quiet. I find it very difficult sitting still. It's better for me, probably, to walk around a beautiful place, maybe like Dunorland, to look at the sky and to concentrate on God there and to breathe in Jesus. Because that's all we're about, aren't we? Trying to get close to him, trying to live our lives with him right there with us. So you need to really find, if you want to do it, what suits you, where you are going to be tuned in. And I know if you're a mother with young children, there's never going to be a quiet two minutes anywhere. It might be that you can only really pray while you're cleaning your teeth. If you have one of those electric toothbrushes that runs on, it might be the only time you get. And it might just remind you, oh, yeah, while I clean my teeth or when I'm putting the bins out, I've got a minute there and I'm going to just say the Lord's Prayer. I'm just going to breathe in for a minute and think about Jesus. I'm just going to bring my mind back to him. Um, and the next one, please. I think a lot of the time with prayer, for me, it's recognition. When I look back, there have been amazing answers to prayer. There have been lots of things that haven't been answered, and there have probably been lots of no's, but I don't very often notice them. Funny enough, this week, I was um, feeling really worried about this talk, <laughs> needless to say, and I was feeling particularly bad one day in the week, and I wasn't feeling physically very well, and I was due to go to Sarah's, and my legs weren't working very well, they were on super slow, and I left home late, and I was creeping up Southview Road thinking, I'm getting so old, this is dreadful. And as I turned around the corner at Chris's house, which I passed dozens of times a week and rarely ever see him, he came out. And he just came over and asked me about this morning, and he said something about just be yourself, and how he loves St. Matt's because it's not for people who've nailed it. And, you know, that was just a God moment for me. I went away from there feeling my heart lifting, that God had just sent me the word I needed to get me through, and that he is in charge of my life. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel embarrassed almost praying because my life is so relatively easy and luxurious. I remember getting a text from my friend who was in France on the day of that awful fire in London, um, asking me to pray for some minor matter for her. And I could barely bring myself to pray. Grenfell the tower was on fire in front of my eyes. And I thought, how can I pray for her house purchase or whatever it was? When, but of course, that's me, isn't it? Humanizing down. And God has always said, Jesus has said very clearly, hasn't it? Talk, pray about everything. God is way greater than not being able to answer that prayer because he's busy on this one. My human mind. So, it is praying about the little things. It is noticing the answers. I think so often for me, timing 
and God appointments are things that you just see that person that you were thinking about and praying about, or you're just in a place you never go to and there's so-and-so, or something comes through the post that you weren't expecting. Um, I think I've just got time to quickly tell you a story. Um, my, one of my very close, my closest friend, I suppose, in a way, who um, we started infant school together at five, uh, and we have gone through thick and thin together. Our lives are very different, but she had embarked with her husband about three or four years ago on a building project. They had some fields around their house in Kent, and they wanted to build uh, the local village development project, wanted some low, lower cost housing and also some different areas to be built on and they had these fields and they decided that they would go for it and she is a very keen Christian and she goes to the Salvation Army um, and she prays she prays about everything and she prayed that every step of the way she prayed that God would stop it if it was wrong and it went through the planners and it went through this and, that, and it and it kept going through and kept going through so she, she kept saying to me well I, it must be right because you know it keeps going through and I was like well I suppose so and then they got started and they had they were building four houses and one couple dropped out for medical reasons really so that left them with having to fund two themselves uh, they were trying to sell a next door property to release money to pay for everything and that would not sell um, and then it became apparent we'd had some concerns but it became apparent that actually my friend's husband had developed Alzheimer's so his memory was unreliable and he was very anxious, anxious about everything. And so he's withdrawn, really. He became very negative. She's carrying more and more of this huge project. The builders went bust. We're still praying. We're still praying. Money began to become a massive issue. She had enormous loans and she'd borrowed from all manner of people. And we knew that Christmas really was going to be the crunch time when all the loans were going to come in. She couldn't sell the house. What were they going to live on? They were, they were working abroad for a long period of time, so they don't have normal pensions here. She kept saying to me, well, I've prayed, I've prayed, we've got to keep praying. And I was thinking, oh, my goodness, I think I'm going to have to empty what bank accounts I've got and try and bail her out and take her food parcels. What is going to happen? And then about perhaps four or five months ago, I didn't say, but her husband is not a Christian, so that's made it extra difficult. She sent me a text saying, Paul came down in the middle of the night uh, couldn't sleep and in the morning he said to me oh I'm so tired of everything I've tried everything I think I'm going to give God a try so I thought wow well that's you know exciting so he starts going to the Salvation Army with her and just before Christmas she sent me a message to say I just want to tell you that he went forward for prayer which is the equivalent of becoming a Christian um, at the Salvation Army so I was thinking actually God's working through this isn't he and then she sent me a message two or three weeks later. I'd been with Helen praying, and we'd prayed specifically for her because I was so worried about this money and these houses not being sold. And she sent me a message to say um, she was at the Canterbury Cathedral where she does some voluntary guiding. She was praying. I'd prayed with Helen a couple of days earlier. Her husband had got in touch with her to say he was praying at home about the money. And a letter came through the letterbox. And it turned out it was an ISA maturing that he had completely forgotten about because of the Alzheimer's. And it covered a huge amount of the issues. It bailed them out. The first house is now sold. But none of that really mattered. What really mattered was that he said to her, it's an answer to prayer. It's an answer to prayer. And they came to the carol service here and they came back afterwards and he was saying to me, I feel such an idiot. You know, I'd forgotten about that money. How could I? And I said, well, it, you know, it's your illness, isn't it? But actually I said to him, do you know, I think God had it right in his hand because if the money had come through when you originally thought you'd realized all your assets it would long since have been spent as it is through that time god has 
brought Paul to himself. He's helped him come to know him. He's praying. He's answered the prayer in a miraculous way. And if that isn't faith building, I don't really know what is. So a lot of it is recognition. So just going back to a rule of life, um, for me, what I've been trying to do is do, I do my Bible reading, but I am trying to do two minutes silence. I don't time it. And I hope that it's going to, I mean, obviously the guy in the book does like 25 minutes several times a day. And like the Franciscans do five times a day, don't they? Or seven times a day or something. But start small, start with a baby step, start with something. So I do my two minutes. Sometimes I don't hear, think, feel anything. Another time, something pops into my head, a phrase from the Bible often, something, or just an awareness that, yeah, Jesus, I do, wanna, I do love you. And I want to love you more, and I want to walk my life with you, and that's all I'm here for. And I'm doing a very bad job, but here I am. And that's all he asks, isn't it, that we are just present with him. So I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to do the Lord's Prayer at lunchtime. I tell you, I often only get through three sentences, and something's happened, and I realize I never got near the end. Wouldn't you think it was easy? How many times a day do I check my phone? How many times a day do I look at my emails? I'm not even on Facebook. And yet, how many times do I check in with God? So that's, for me, what I'm trying to do. And then the evening when I do a reading, I also do two minutes, and I'm trying to do the examine um, because, yeah, I could go on talking stories forever. But the last one, I think, on here, oh, there's a couple more. There's one more. This song is one of my favorites. I think people know that because I think it says what, what I want to say, really, Jesus, be the center. Be my source. Be my light, Jesus. Be the center. Be my hope. Be my song. Be the fire in my heart, the wind in these sails, the reason that I live. Be my vision. Be my path. Be my guide. It says it all, and it's a cry of our hearts, isn't it? Um, I think I've probably said this before, but um, when I was 50, uh, I decided, well, my friend encouraged me to go skiing for the first time. My children had all been, and I'd always thought I fancied it, but I was a bit scared. And life had been a bit hard. I'd had the breast cancer. Our marriage had broken down. We had a lot of stuff going on. And I, my friend was amazing, and she took me. And I fell in love with it, scary as I found it. And the mountains were just phenomenal. So I went about four or five times. I haven't been able to go anymore. But I, we always had lessons in the morning. And there was one particular occasion further down the line where we were getting better and we were doing more complicated things and turns and all sorts of things. I can't even remember the names now. And I was quite like tensed up. One of my legs is a bit weaker than the other because I've had chronic disc problems and stuff. So it's very difficult to get my body balanced right. And eventually the instructor just said to the group of us, he said, just sing. It will relax your body and you'll be able to fulfill this exercise much easier. So, because I think most people were probably singing pop songs or whatever. I was singing, what can I sing? Jesus, be the center. And, you know, I sang that song. And my skiing, it just, I just relaxed. It just flowed. I went, it was a completely different experience. And for me, that was an illustration of my life, isn't it? It's not that we're going to escape from pain, disaster, death, misery, all those things. But we can turn back, can't we? Jesus be the center. But we need to pay that attention. We need to just pause, give God a chance to speak to us. As I said, I guess lots of you have been doing this forever and way ahead of me, but that's really all I really wanted to share. Um, there's one little bit out of the book that says, it talks about loads of people. And it says, all these people realized that stopping for the daily office, that's the moment of stopping to pray with God, is the key to creating a continual and easy familiarity with God's presence the rest of the day. It is the rhythm of stopping that makes the practice of the presence of God, to use Brother Lawrence's phrase, a real possibility. And I think 
that for me, I, I just really believe it's making a difference and it will make a difference. So maybe have a little think. And the next one just says, whatever works for you. You know, it might be that it doesn't work for you at all, or you do want to do it when you're cleaning your teeth, or you have got a very comfortable chair that you do sit in sometimes. And maybe you're like me, you listen to the archers, and maybe you're going to do it after that, or something, or nothing. If all else fails, read a psalm, pray through some of those amazing words, because I reckon that's probably what Jesus did a lot of. I think he maybe prayed the psalms. So we're okay, we're just on time. And what I would really like to do, and Chris says it's okay, is I'd just like us to have two minutes silence now. I know when we do two minutes silence remembrance Sunday, it goes on forever, doesn't it? And ever. So Chris is going to time for me, but just in that two minutes, just be yourself to God. Just bring yourself to Jesus. Just open up to him. He knows all of it. He knows all our worries, our distress, our doubts, our fears. Just be in his presence. And let's just listen to him. I'm not asking anybody to say anything, do anything. I hate all that. I hate being called out for prayer. I hate prayer meetings. But I do want to be with Jesus. I just want to be with him. So if we could do our two minutes, um, and I will shut up now. Thank you. <laughs>